everybody, and welcome to the very 152nd Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. A podcast all about boards, games, board games. I've lost wow. faith. That, I've lost faith in this intro. That underwhelmed sound you can hear is my co-host Tom Brewster. Hi, Tom. It's also uh, your, you know, your own consciousness relaying to you that that was a, a weak bit, Quins. I do. I, my a consciousness and intro. my sense of self-loathing is loud enough already without you uh, reinforcing it with your reedy voice. Yes, baby. What's my name, Tom? What's my name? This isn't uh, your play. name. I just need to <laughs> express it in the podcast intro. Your name is Quinton Smith, and you're legally my boss. That's true. That is true. I have the power of not life and death over you, but the power of uh, hiring and firing, which honestly I'm not comfortable <laughs> with and have not been comfortable with since we hired you. Uh, you haven't used it yet, which is great. I, um, we, well, I did. I, we hired you. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Did mm. that feel bad? You're like, oh shoot, I've got to pay this guy and house him and clothe him. We, did we clothe you? Have we? Hang on, I, wait. I mean... Are we <laughs> obligated? And have we been failing to clothe you? I mean, my family continually makes fun of me for wearing shut up and sit down t-shirts, and they call it my uniform. Which <laughs> uh, does make me laugh every time. Uh, incidentally, if you head over to shutupandsitdown.com, you can buy <laughs> merchandise. With our brand. And we've got some nice shirts in there. But we're not going to be talking about shirts today. Oh no. Today we're going to be talking about uh, a few different games. We're going to be talking about Agizia Shifting Sands, published by Stronghold Games. A game of sailing boats down the Nile in ancient Egypt and getting in the way of your friends because you're all trying to build monuments, but you all want to build the monuments the best. And that involves getting to them first. We're going to be talking about Regicide, a card game that is played with a normal deck of cards. Can you believe the 52 card deck is back and it's going to play with it and it's better than ever there we go and finally we're going to be talking about the crew and the crew deep sea a little bit because tom has just published a video review about those games Hmm. i did what's the crew about tom the crew is a game about being in space or being in the sea and not talking well talking to varying degrees i was told after the review that a lot of people play it with different levels of talking but we can get into that later we can get into that later podcast that was i mean we'll keep it but that was the shonkiest intro i think it had a charm of its own so first, we're going to be talking about uh, Agizia. Well, kind of. So here's the situation, Tom. <laughs> um, Agizia is a board game that first came out in, let's have a little clickety-click, the year 2009. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. 2009, uh, good year for music. Good year for uh, board games about sailing down the River Nile as well. Yeah. So um, <laughs> this is a Euro game. I'm going to cut that. I'm going to cut that out. Because I was going to then say some 2009 albums and then I realised completely that I do not remember. It's 2007 was the better year. 2009 is that. I don't, I don't hate that good year for music, good year for board games as well. I really don't. Um, I okay, really... cool. So first off, we're going to be talking about Agizia, which is spelled E-G-I-Z-I-A. I'm not going to ask you to try and spell it yourself. I'm here to help. Um, and Agizia, well thank you, Tom. Agizia first came out in the year 2009. Good year for music. Uh, good year for board games as well. Bad year for Shut Up and Sit Down because we didn't exist yet and wouldn't until 2011. Um, so uh, in Agizia, um, players are all sort of work crews that are sailing down the Nile and alternately trying to like pick up food and also improve their fields 
and improve the work teams that work for you that are actually not slaves as we had an interesting discussion about apparently you don't need to feel bad playing against here and building the pyramids that's what yes our colleague told us get in don't know if that's true couldn't be bothered to corroborate it uh, the main mechanic in Agitia that's kind of interesting is that um, this is sort of like a worker placement game, if you've played one of those before. If you haven't, don't worry. At the start of each of the game's five rounds, um, you're each going to place your boat at the sort of the top of the River Nile, and then you're going to sail down it over the course of the round. The way this works is you're going to take turns deciding where your boat will stop. Now, there's all kind of places you can stop. You can stop, as I've said, to sort of improve your stone quarries or farms or work crews, or... You, but that doesn't actually help you win the game. What helps you win the game is parking your boat in monuments um, along the river, uh, such as building obelisks or temples or, or graves. Tom absolutely loved building graves. Um, I oh, hated building graves. Did you? You were the grave boy. You got in I my way. The, I wanted to be the grave boy. You prevented me from... I was the from... sphinx and obelisk boy, but we'll okay. get to that later because it didn't serve me very well no at uh, all so um uh, the re the reason all of this is tricky when you're deciding where to stop your boat is that you can't go back up the river so basically if you've played a game like tokaido um this will be very familiar but the decision you're making as you're deciding where to sort of stop your boat on the turn is whether to sort of race ahead down the river nile and grab that you know uh, big improvement to your work crews or stop at the sphinx before anyone else can get there um, and sort of take these kind of parking spaces before your opponents can take them first. But anything you pass on the river, you can't go back. So when it comes to your next turn on that round, you can only move your boat further down the river, which is hellish because you sort of, <laughs> you don't want to race past perfectly good things you could stop at. But equally, if you go very slow down the river and try and stop at every single spot, your friends are going to race ahead and take all of the stuff that, you know, is actually super appealing. Um, and you can get into really quite tricky uh, situations. This very much feels like a 2009 game in that, you know, like I say, it's a five round game and you might have a round where you fail to build anything, where you functionally earn zero points just because there aren't enough spaces at the building sites for all of you. So if you want to, for example, get stone and workers, then you might not even be able to use those stone and workers. It's very... We should probably talk about the, the puzzle of how of both how to use workers and how to feed workers. Because I think the thing that pleases about Agizia, Agizia, I'm not going to call it Agizia, that's horrible. Oh, you ruined the bit. No, I, I, can't, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to say Agizia. To say Agizia. I know we, we had a pact that I would say Agizia and I can't, it's too gross. Okay, um, even though that might be how it's actually pronounced, we just don't know. <laughs> um, I, the reason I think we liked it, even though this is an old game, is that everything about it felt fresh. And actually, this is where we should clarify that the version of Agitia you can buy now um, is a different edition. In 2019, we were sent Agitia Shifting Sands, published by Stronghold and designed and sort of updated by the same team of original designers, which is Firminia Brazzini, Virginio Gigli, Stefano Liperto, Antonio Tinto. Apologies to all of the Italians who listen to this podcast who just <laughs> had the worst five seconds of their life. <laughs> but yeah, so they've updated this game with the new in, in this new edition called Agitia Shifting Sands, and they sent that to us. That's not what we actually played, though. We played the 2009 edition because that's the only edition we could find on Tabletop Simulator. The OG. Um, the OG Agitia. And yeah, the thing that... Th this game just still feels fresh today. I feel like this yeah. could have come out now because... So yeah, I would love for you to talk about how the work crews work and how the farms work because these are not mechanics that have, you know, sort of like entered the popular board game consciousness, I don't think. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the work crews 
essentially you have uh, three different work crews and then you also have uh, a joker a goker work crew um and <laughs> these work crews you can set them to work on any one of the monuments when you park at them the problem is is that you can see on those monuments there are lots of little slots to like put bricks in a slot might say four bricks or five bricks right and to do that you need five four or five worth of like labor in your work crews all your work crews start on one and i think your joker starts on two if yeah. i remember correctly um, and you can only use one work crew plus the Joker if you fancy it. So if you wanted to work on a five space, you'd need a two work crew and a three Joker, for example. But you couldn't use your two, your three work crew and a two work crew because only one work crew can work on a monument at any given time. Yes. Goodness. You know, actually, I've just realized this kind of weirdly reminds me of Nidavalia, that card game we talked about. Oh, yeah? You're kind of, yeah, you have resource because in Nidavalia, you had three coins that you could upgrade and then it's where do you spend your coins? And it gives right. you, you have three work crews that you can upgrade it. So really, it's like it's like trying to pay for things, but you only have three coins of denominations that you decided on earlier based on how you spent <laughs> your time. Yeah, absolutely. And the problem that I had with the game is that I mean, there's this there's this consistent restriction in, in Agizia where, like, every turn I was like, oh, in the early game, I was like, I've not got enough stone. I, I need stone to build things. And then, oh, I've not got enough people to move the stone. And then it's, oh, it's not the right season to feed my people. And that didn't come into play as much as I would have liked because I should explain that very briefly. Essentially, uh, you have these food cards and they will only activate in certain seasons. So some food cards are just universally good. They'll activate in any season. But other food cards might only activate if it's you know, the the nice verdant season, or they might only activate if it's the, you know, middling wetlands season. I'm getting this slightly wrong. But essentially what you can have is people building a strategy off of food cards that they're going to use to feed their workers that will only sometimes activate. And what season it is, is kind of collectively in the hands of all the players around the table. Yes, this is this is delightful. So one of the spaces that you can stop at while you're engaging with the horrifically nuanced decision of where to stop your boat uh, on your turn <laughs> is you can just have the Nile flood more or less, which will turn on or off different people's food cards. So what I wanted to do in Agizia, and I categorically did not pull this off, is let you and Ava <laughs> develop these like huge 20-man strong work crews and get tons of fields to feed them and then just focusedly drain water out of the Nile so that you starved. <laughs> um, that did not happen. I would assume it can happen in some games of Agizia. But actually, another thing that's interesting about this game is the variable setup is, is massive. That a lot of the stops you're stopping at on the, the Nile are cards. And lots of those cards don't show up in certain games. So depending on the random pull you get, you might have a game with no control over the Nile flooding or with less stone or with less mm. ability to improve your workers. Um, I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah, we were leaving a whole bunch of cards out every time we filled the Nile. Amazing. Mm. And I want to circle back on that going down the Nile sort of core of the game. And there is never a decision. I never felt in that game that there was like an arbitrary decision or a dull decision. Yeah. Like every turn was mean and you are setting the tempo for everyone at the same time whenever you take a turn. Like, yeah. there is, watching someone in that game, you're looking at that Nile and you're looking at all of those cards and they're all going to be amazing for your engine and you're thinking, oh, I'm just going to go real snow and snaffle them all up. 
And then, like, someone just launches forward, like, 12 spaces, and you're like, well, I, I guess I've just got to speed up now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, oh, we're all going slow. That's great, because the only card I need is the one at the end. And then your friend <laughs> lurches forward, and you go, this is not allowed, no. And then, yeah. And then if you're, and the you're looking player, at all the opportunities that, that, you'll ha- that you have to skip over if you want to get that card. It's so painful. Do you know how happy I was on the turns where you and Ava got into this race because there were clearly cards you both needed that were just out of reach? <laughs> so you two would race ahead. And then there's me being like, wait, why are you two racing? And then because you both dashed off, it meant I could gobble up every single stop. <laughs> just like, I have that, and I have that, and I have that. There was something uh, funny in the teach where you said, you know, we, we had, you have like 10 boats or eight boats or something like that. And you're like, well, I'm not going to, you know, I, I, I'm going I'm to use all these boats. I'm going to use them all up every turn. That's the most efficient path. Yeah. And then you realize that like players will max use like three or four because of how quickly <laughs> they have to go of their down own that river. greed. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think you've hit something on, I really think you've hit something on the head there. I feel like after Agricola came out in the early days of Shut Up and Sit Down, like 2012, 2013, worker placement games were so popular you know, uh, Lords of Waterdeep being the, the key example. And I found so many of them didn't capture what makes worker placement good. Like, worker placement shouldn't be this this thing where, you know, your friend takes a space and either you don't care because you didn't want that space or you're annoyed because you did want that space because that's either an exclusively dull or irritating interaction between players. I think what makes a good worker placement game is when a player is able to place a worker and you find it interesting or mm. exciting. And I think you've really hit the nail on the head when you say that your friends are dictating the tempo because it's not just, ah, they took a space I want. Well, now my turn's dumber. It's like, ah, they're moving faster. So now I have to make this really foxy decision of like, do I race my boat after them? Or do I stay behind and gobble up everything they left behind? And actually those are both kind of fun decisions. Either you're Mm. accelerating the game, which is tense, or you're staying back to hoover up resources. So in your friends taking a card you wanted further down the river, that actually frees you up to collect cards you didn't even think you would have the chance to collect. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think there's something that kind of focuses that decision as well. And the fact that sometimes the things that are left over are not things, you, you know, it's not like every card is going to be hugely beneficial to you at all times. Sometimes you might be picking up a card that upgrades your workforces in a way that actually pushes them into being unfeedable in a way that can be frustrating. <laughs> so there are sort of like, it's not so many options if you're behind that it's overwhelming. There's still a sort of critical path that you can pave through. It's just how fast do you want to run down it? Uh, I guess. Yeah. And there's also, um, I remember one of my favorite turns in in Agizia was was the very last round where you took the like, oh, I'm going to go slow down the Nile and pick up those cards while Ava and I I raced off. I wish you weren't telling the story. (laughs) I I must. Because Ava and I blocked every space, was it, on all the monuments? No. So in the last round of the game... Or it was something like that, right? No, what it was it was, was that I, you, I needed to stop at the Sphinx. I needed to, because I only had one massive work crew and I have tons of, or not, not the Sphinx, I think it was the Obelisk or something. Mm. But I, I had like 15 brick and it was the final round of the game. So I could get so many points if I just could stop at literally, you're going to have to beep this, Tom, any f***ing building site. <laughs> Um, any building site would be fine and I would just show up and I'd be like hey I've got 11 beefy dudes and 11 stone and that's going to get me tons of points and then because and you went past the, a building site so I knew I could stop there but I'd forgotten that oh. Ava had a card that let her go back up the sorry Tom f-ing river <laughs> Um, and so I was like, well, I'll just take all the time I need. And then Ava got all the way to the bottom of the Nile and then came back again to steal the space I needed. 
then the best thing ever happened, which was that when we tallied up the final scores, Ava and I had exactly the same score. Oh, and yeah. I said, Ava, we should, why, why don't we not look up the tiebreaker? Looking up tiebreakers is dumb. Sharing the win is much more fun. And Ava said, no way, look up the tiebreaker. And we did. And I won. Did and it happen that way? It did. I don't it, know if it, it absolutely <laughs> did. Categorically did. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Anyway, so sorry, I cut you off there because I had to tell that story to the audience. Yeah, no, t- 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 correctly. It was, uh, it's brutal. I love that, that, yeah, that last round was like you've been gearing up that whole time to, to do this one big build with this one big crew and then just by not quite getting it right the game just says nope like no points although yeah you you both of you did very well compared to me i spent the whole game trying to do the uh a task that was get loads of bricks in the obelisk and have the obelisk like fully built and that would have gotten me like a huge swing of points but like no one wanted to invest with me no one wanted to come on an obelisk journey with me you so know... i was building it all by my own and it was like five blocks high out of the <laughs> 10 blocks it needed to be pathetic uh you know the sphinx cards are really interesting as well so lots of games have um uh you know kind of secret objective cards they're almost like a, a mandatory thing it feels like sometimes in euro games um and but the card but and you get these in this in it gets here whenever you build the sphinx you get to draw cards off this sphinx deck which are like secret objectives to the end of the game but they're really good. Um, and I yes. don't. I, I say that very infrequently about secret objectives. But that's because the secret objectives are to do with kind of not necessarily like, oh, you should have a big work crew. But, you know, that because the worker placement is so interesting, that card in itself is good. But some of the cards in Agitia are like, you have to have built these. This monument must be finished. And that's something you can only do collaboratively with other players. So you'd end up doing weird things like, well, OK, I know Ava has tons of stone and she's going to want to use it this round. I don't have a lot of stone, but I do want the pyramid to be finished. So maybe I should take the grave space just so she can't go there so that she yeah. has to go to the, you know, that like kind of, it, it had secret objectives that were to do with other players, which I, and then using the worker placement to push other players in certain directions, which I thought was cool. That's super fascinating because that should have been my strategy. Like I should have just, because I was, I built on all of the nice cheap spaces in the obelisk and I should have just saved my stone, let someone do all the hard work for me while I like chuck little bricks on the other places Mm. and then come back and finish it off. Dang. Uh, So a couple of uh, points we should end this with. So um, as we said, we played Agizia, but by all accounts, Agizia Shifting Sands, the 2019 version, is um, a better game. Um, The original designers came back and modernized it slightly. They replaced the graves, which I'm sad because the idea of building a grave was funny to me. Yeah, the graves have been replaced by a more um, mechanically interesting mechanic that I I can't remember. Um, They've also tweaked some (laughs) of the deck composition. Um, but this is where we have to announce the, probably the reason we're not going to be reviewing a Giz here, um, which is, uh, this boy is, uh, I believe the technical term is Ugo. Um, yeah. uh, yeah. you it's, know, uh... what would you, how would, I mean, d- d- without being mean, Tom, so we're not even talking about the 2009 edition because in 2009, board game budgets were smaller, board game art was a sort of nascent, um, art form. Um, so we're really talking about Agizia Shifting Sands here, the version you can buy today. You'd hope that while they'd updated it, they've made it look modern. And while the box art, the cover is nice, I don't think any of us were really enamoured with how any of it, any of it looked. No. I, I was trying to think about how I would describe specifically the thing that really catches my eye when I look at the board is, is the Sphinx at the bottom um, of the board, <laughs> which I would describe as like, it, it looks like Vaporwave, but without the wave. 
like you know that sort of like blender 3d model aesthetic that oh. then people slap loads of filters on to make vaporwave it oh, kind totally. of just looks like that you know what it reminds me of any of the filters have you been looking at these ai generated images that have been floating <laughs> yeah. on social media where yes, it's like absolutely. a lot of weird color blending and vivid colors that the ai has pulled from some kind of internet database somewhere like it's yeah. it's a it doesn't look like ancient Egypt. It doesn't even look like that sort of Las Vegas interpretation of ancient Egypt where everything's sort of gold and weird and plastic. It just... Except for the very top of the pyramid, which is a yeah. shining beacon. It's 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 just not a good looking game. And that's not, you know, ah, oh, this is tough because obviously we're not people who feel that art, like beautiful art is, is, is a vital component of games. We've reviewed all kinds of great games that are not necessarily lookers. Um, but... Igitia is not offering something totally unique. It's just a really good Euro game. Mm. And there's a lot of really good Euro games out there. And I think when it comes to whether Shut Up and Sit Down does a video review or not, you know, it's like, it's going to be very difficult to say, oh, you got to buy Igitia Shifting Sands, even though the art is... is. I still think that I was tempted to get a copy of Igitia, even though the version on display is very ugly, because I think that I was surprised at how easy it was to teach and how like crunchy and fun and engaged I was the entire time with mm. the game. Like, I, still think it's, I think it's very solid, but I definitely see your point that like it feels hard to recommend a version that I think both of us are in agreement does look actively a bit worse than the original. I mean, that's, that's even what though it's me, a bit yeah, yeah e even though it's like a little the original version is by no means a looker. It's kind of when you showed us the game, I felt sort of like safe in that old Euro look <laughs> and yeah. i was like ah yes this is the kind of game where i'm gonna have a horrible time uh in a good way it's got and it, it's got a, doesn't give me that shifting sands has a little bit of that you know like uh viral updated fresco vibe where it's like we're gonna take something <laughs> that looks looks you know not not striking but kind of we're gonna take something classic and we're gonna make it modern and mm. you know and I, and I don't know if that was the right choice yeah I can see that. Well, so that is a review, audio review of Egizia, Shifting Sands, and original Egizia, the board game. You know what, Tom? That was a slick end to this segment. <laughs> <laughs> The next game that we're going to talk about on this Shut Up and Sit Down audio podcast is Regicide, a card game designed by Paul Abrams, Luke Badger, and Andy Richdale. And it is a cool little co-op card game. I think it says something on the front. It's like an intense or difficult or oh, a challenging, tricky, challenging, yeah. yes, a challenging co-op card game for two to four players. The cool gimmick of Regicide is that uh, they ran a Kickstarter that's not the cool gimmick. The gimmick <laughs> is that uh, they ran a Kickstarter for the full game, which has lots of really, really quite lovely art by Sketch Goblin. Uh, and it's charming and a lovely box edition of the game with player rates and stuff. But you can play this game with just a regular deck of cards. Um, so if you fancy it, you can go on to BoardGameGeek and you can find the rules there. Or you can buy the really nice art edition probably somewhere. So how do you play Regicide? What is Regicide? It's a co-op game where you've got to do a lot of bashing of monarchs. Um, in this deck of cards, you separate out the jacks and the queens and the kings, and those are the reggies that you have to side. <laughs> uh, and if you, if you manage to get through all of them, then you win the game. 
The rest of the cards all shuffled in a deck and everyone grabs a hand of them. Um, and in that hand of cards, you have all the rest of the cards in the game from aces to tens. And the way the game works is incredibly simple. All you do is you play a card from your hand, which can be anything that you fancy, and then you will activate the played card's power. All the different car uh, all the different suits have different powers in this game. We'll get into those in a second. And then you deal the damage of that card. So if you play a seven, you deal seven damage to the monarch that you're fighting at the moment. Um, and if you manage to take down all their health, that's great. You then move on to the next card. And if you get through the whole deck, then you win the game. Sounds really easy. Actually, no, it's really hard. Because after doing that damage, you then have to suffer some damage by discarding cards from your hand. So let's say I dealt seven damage to the jack, and the jack does... 10 damage do they do i think the jack right. ha jack the jacks have 15 health and 10 damage i'll also add here that you have to fight all these uh reggies in sequence so you have to fight all the jacks yes. then, all, then the queens, all the queens then all the kings which is uh, you don't want to fight the kings the you kings are just a horrible the kings are so mean <laughs> um but if you attack the jack for uh seven health um and then they will then deal 10 damage back to you which means you need to play a seven to do the seven damage and then you need to take 10 worth of cards from your hand and bin them and this sounds really mean because you're going to be binning a lot of cards and you're going to run out of hands pretty quickly which is where the special powers come in so each suit in the game has its own power and maybe the simplest is diamonds which just has you drawing cards um so like the number of on the diamonds will have you drawing cards back up it's like a healing suit and hearts take discarded cards and put them back into your deck so that you won't run out of troops in your army so to speak then the other two suits are the spicy ones. Spades will reduce the enemy's attack by the number on that card. So that 10 of jacks, uh, that 10 of jacks, that jack with its 10 attack, you can then play a 10 card, a 10 of spades, and reduce it down to nothing. Which then turns Regicide into a game where you've basically like taken all the monarch's weapons away, and then you're just beating them to a pulp as they like coins fly out of them like in like mario or something i mean it's like horrible. that's how we played it right we thought we'd really figured it out because well hang on if you play enough spades to reduce something's attack to zero it doesn't attack you so you can just play cards thing is there's no way to just like sit back and play cards to you know refill the draw deck and then make sure that everyone's hands are full before you fight the next boss because every card you play automatically does that much damage to the boss <laughs> so even within this idea of oh you've neutralized their attack great now we can all draw you can only draw for as long as the jack or queen or whoever you've tied up um can survive the onslaught <laughs> of these cards you play um it's it's an absolute nightmare puzzle isn't it yes it really is and i should explain the very last piece of the puzzle is the club cards which do double damage which is nice and simple and that's how you take down the big like the 40 health kings at the end is by playing these doubling cards but that puzzle is incredibly solid and incredibly tense the entire time because you're relying on what's in your hand and you're relying on everyone else's hands. You're trying to keep keep you sort of stocked with cards because so often you can have a round where like you play a bunch of cards, pass it to the next person and they go, I got nothing. I'm yeah. going to get stamped on by this Jack, um, which is it, delightful. Well, I mean, the real kicker as well is that it's, it's not a game with many rules, but each of the rules, you know, it arrives with this kind of, oh God, how do we deal with that? <laughs> so each suit of boss you fight for example, you know, that. so if you play clubs, that deals double damage. Great. Except for against the Jack of Clubs, the Queen of Clubs, the King of Clubs, because every mm -hmm. boss is immune to their suit special power, which isn't so bad with clubs, but is horrific with spades because it means you can <laughs> never neutralize their attack ever. So a King mm -hmm. of Spades will do 20 damage 
every time. So you have to discard 20 worth of numbers. And then this is where you would get into another Foxy rule. If you defeat a boss perfectly, so you take them down to zero health, you don't take them down beyond zero health, at which point I would imagine they burst into a... They gib into a big pile of bloody limbs. <laughs> if you take them down to zero health, they then go straight into your draw pile, allowing you to draw them, and they have... And jacks, queens, and kings that you defeated then bulk up your draw deck and act as larger numbers than you had access to before. So where to begin with, the cards you play range from 1 to 10. Jacks have a value of 15. No, 10. Queens have a value of 15, and then kings have a value of It's a way of attack. Mm. It's 10, 15, 20, mm. 20, 30, 40 for mm. health. And it's mm. sort of attack, then health, respectively. It's brutal. It's Horrible numbers. It's just, like, all the numbers you're fighting are horrific. And the thing is, is that the moment you defeat a boss, like, in our first playthrough, one of the reasons we lost so spectacularly is it feels like defeating a boss should be a good thing. But it's mm. not. Because the moment you <laughs> defeat a boss and you're like, yay, they have zero health, they don't attack me. It's like, yeah, but you have to take another turn immediately against the completely fresh boss who shows up next. So thematically, it's like, you're fine fighting one person, but the moment they die, boom, the next boss kicks open the door and goes, what's going on in here? <laughs> and they have, you know, full health, full attack. And so the question I think our group most commonly asked each other is, who has the hand that means they're even willing to f kill this boss because the mm. moment you do you don't know who's going to come through the door and you don't know how how you're going to deal <laughs> who with who has the hand that lets them plunge the final blade into this ailing monarch who's sat on the floor having a terrible terrible time for the yeah. last however many rounds as we try and pull cards out of him it, it's so good but <laughs> but what are you going to say well i was going to say that Regicide's reputation preceded itself for us generally, where we'd heard that it's very, very, very difficult. And we did beat it second time. We sure did. We did. Does that give us a big shiny badge for being good at games? I, I think it does. Shut Up and Sit Down very rarely gets to boast about how we're good at games, because it's just not true. So I think, <laughs> yes, we should absolutely celebrate the fact that we beat Regicide second try. Um, I, I, I just, I think it's... I think it's a good game. I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily choose to buy a, buy a copy myself, but I think designing a new game that uses the 52 slash 54 card deck of playing cards is a triumph mm. because, That's you know, true. it's just, uh, it, I think it's such a, it's a supernaturally difficult test for designers to just use the regular 54 card deck to design a good game, let alone a new kind of game. And the fact mm. that Regicide, anyone can go to board game, you can down the rules and play it at home right now is enormous. Like that's huge. <laughs> I would encourage people if, you know, to, to try it right now. And if they love it to, you know, buy a copy as a gift or something. I think the fact that this game is technically free and open source is what take it is what takes it from like a 7.5 out of 10 to like a nine for me. It's, Ooh, it, it's, baby. it's basically free tom it's basically it's free. basically free and i do think that you get a nice those little rules references that you get with the actual box edition would be incredibly welcome and incredibly nice because there is a little bit of fiddliness in working out how much um damage and uh health a boss has at yes. any given time which we were aided by having tabletop simulators to literally draw on the table for the whole <laughs> game like having health and, and damage trackers but it is, I do think, you know, I sounded like I was going to go, but I don't like it or whatever. I do think it's really, really solid and really good fun. And I don't think it's quite, we should also talk about how the fact that there is a limited communication aspect to the game. Oh, um, yeah. Where you can't say specifically what you have in your hand. That is a weird 
because I was going to then compare it to the crew, which we we've been I did a review of recently, and. Regicide. Well, you know what? Why don't we why don't we compare them directly? Actually, why don't you talk a little bit about um the video that you just did that people can find on our YouTube channel at the minute? Sure. Uh, so I recently did a video review of the Crew and the Crew Two, the Crew Mission Deep Sea, which are both these triptych silent trick taking games. They use the standard rules of trick taking, playing cards into the center of the table, having someone winning a trick, but they sort of turn them on their head because you do not want to just win tricks. It's not one of those games because it's cooperative. You want certain people to win certain tricks. And the kicker there is that it's completely no... Well, it's this is the thing. I've Depending on how you play the game, you can play it as a zero communication game or a you-can't-talk-about-cards-in-your-hand communication game. And I think that both of them, and maybe Regicide more so because it restricts this to like a few lines. I think if you plumbed the crew's rulebook, you could find out the definitive way to play the crew. But Regicide has a rule that says players may not any time communicate to the other players what they have in their hand, but you can, of course, imply what you have outside of those rules, which we didn't do, or we did sometimes. It was a little unclear. So beating the game feels less satisfying when you don't know exactly what communication is allowed, if that yeah, makes sense. We should probably just turn this into a full-blown rant about this rule because <clears throat> it shows up everywhere and it's the cornerstone of so many co-op games, this idea of you can communicate a bit, but not too much. Like, and <laughs> I, the amount of, like, because we played The Game, uh, which is a card game with the title The Game, which is really good uh, recently. And uh, that's a nice little co-op game. We played Registide, we played The Crew. And I don't know about The Crew, but with Registide and The Game, um, they were both games that said, Oh, well, you can't communicate much, but you can do a little bit. But it didn't have examples in the manual. And it's like, I, I'm not so difficult as to not acknowledge that this is a rule designers like and use and that powers a lot of absolutely fantastic games. But if you're going to put it in your game, then just you have to give examples in the manual. That's that's my stance on it. Give me examples of sentences that are allowed and not allowed. Because mm. every time I have played one of these games recently, it's resulted in, you know, someone around the table who just wants to win and just wants to help us being like, well, you know, if someone could play like something higher than a four, but lower than a seven, that would be good. And it's like, you know, that's clearly against the spirit of the game. But then suddenly I become the cops and have to be like, you know, uh, actually... Can't say that. Not well, allowed to it, say that. It's not even can't say that, Tom, because I have to be like, oh, actually, I don't believe personally you're allowed to say that. And then <laughs> I don't even have the authority of a rule book. It's like, yeah, yeah I'm just being... A ju I don't know. You, but I'm sure you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, I think... Because I think that with different groups that I've played the crew with, we've settled on different things about different places of what is and what isn't allowed in your crew talk, which means that sometimes you have games that are like very, uh, you, you borderline talking about the game at points because you're playing it in a very relaxed way and somewhere it is literally like silent, silent. Um, but I think that both of these games have something in common, which I think is interesting where these limited communication rules mean if you take them as printed, they or if you take them to the logical extreme of like, because you're not allowed to communicate what you have in your hand, you're therefore not allowed to communicate what you have in your hand by implication. Mm. You have this bind where you can be in a real AP situation and not quite be able to say why in yeah. a way that can rub some people up the wrong way. Um, like, And I think that some for some people, that is a bad thing. Like... Because Regicide, this is actually a key point between the crew and Regicide that I actually want to expand upon, where it's like, 
in the crew, you can be in that AP bind and you could maybe lose someone the game by misplaying or something, but it's fine because the missions are actually really quite short and breezy. Whereas in Regicide, because it's a longer journey, having a player make a wrong move after like a big period of AP and them not being able to communicate a way out of it might kind of feel worse. Yeah. If that makes sense. I agree. It's and a longer journey. I mean, the thing we haven't mentioned about Regicide, but this is also true in the crew, is that both the games where if there is like a fail state, where in Regicide is someone getting hit by a bus and not having the cast to discard, everybody loses instantly. Yes. Um, but then, you know, it certainly it makes it easy to imagine scenarios where like, you know, a player can, uh, you know, get hit and die and all the other players say, oh, what? why didn't you tell us that was going to happen? We could have done something. And it's like, well, the manual says I can't imply it was in my hand, which means surely I can't say that I can't, I don't have the ability to survive this mm, because that's telling yeah. you, that's telling your friends, like, I don't have any spades. I don't have any diamonds. Yeah. Um, so then it's like, well, you just caused all your friends to have a feel bad moment because of your personal, you know, draconic interpretation of <laughs> a poorly explained rule in the manual, which is, yeah, certainly a bad, a bad moment. It's a wobbly one. But I think that you could easily have games of Regicide where you are relatively a bit more generous with that interpretation. And it still works. Like, I've often heard games described as sort of brittle. Uh, and Regicide is not brittle in that it doesn't... That rule doesn't anchor it as something whether it succeeds or fails. I think you could have zero communication games of Regicide that would work. Yeah. Or you could have the level that we did where occasionally someone would go, Ooh... Uh, look at my hand when you've got like two cards and being like, I might need some more cards in this one. Although technically, that's communicating what you have in your hand. The rule is, is vague. Anyway. Um, this has been, I realise you have to go now in 60 seconds, which it makes me feel bad that we've had this really uh, sort of like sticky and cloying discussion about the exact meaning of a rule. So in the final minute of the podcast, let's let's talk about whoa. something f- fun. What's a fun board game you've played recently? Oh, blimey, you've really, really pivoted. I mean, should I talk about what I've actually been playing, Quinn? Why don't you drop a subtle hint and I'll drop a subtle spicy hint about what I've been playing? Crime. I've also been playing a a game of crime, actually. But solving (laughs) crimes. So I've been playing a game about doing crimes. You've been playing a game about solving crimes. Oh, to Tom, I'm not going to say the name, but I've been having so much fun. My friends have just been laughing about what how bad they are at solving crimes, but nonetheless solving the crime anyway. Oh, it's and my great. friends have been laughing so much about doing crimes, but more importantly, how bad they are at doing crimes. And they've also been playing some board games. <laughs> That's a little joke for the folks at home. Thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. We'll be back to argue about what a rule means again next episode. Next episode. Tune in. Thanks. Wait, hold on. We should do that. You know what we should do? We should retry the thing that we did a while back where we each did one. We mad libs the ending where we each did a word. Okay, Um, fine. I promise not to throw a hissy fit this time. That's good. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Crime is great. Because good times await for you. I still don't know about this idea. I don't know. Was that good? Was that good? That's a solid ending. I'm so unconvinced.